Good morning. morning. Good 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 morning. I'm, I'm a little out of the loop. Is that right? Yeah, it's today. It's today. Yeah. It's today. That's my fault. All right. So, meeting <laughs> service today. The baby bottles are Oh, yes, yes. And, and I, I, I noted that the baby bottles are on the foyer uh, table there. So, get that and fill it up. Um, so, uh, the communion is next Sunday. No. no it's this right. Sunday. It's, it's, no. it's today. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, if we get that out of the way. <laughs> Which day is it? And the meals today, too. Meals today? Okay. Either that or we get a lot of <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me get out of this. Scripture for meditation, Psalm 98. Uh, it's a responsive reading that's in the Trinity.
Let's stand and read together. <clears throat> Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. The Lord has made his salvation known. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. First, give a song of music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With the trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Amen. Phil, would you open for us, sir? Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we do count it as a privilege to come before you and lay our petitions at your feet, give our prayers to you, and we pray, Lord, that in doing so, our hearts will be purified, that we would concentrate on your magnificence and your glory. We know that all things in this world will eventually pass away, Lord, but you are forever. Pray, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit communes with us this hour. Be with us as, as a group, be with our nation this hour. Watch over and protect us. Be with pastors who brings forth the message. Father, let his message be used to convict the hearts of the lost this hour, but at the same time, embolden and strengthen and give confidence to those of us who are in you. Have your Holy Spirit commence now with us. Communicate with us, gird us up, strengthen us. Let our attentions be focused solely on you this hour. For these things we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. 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 We turn to number two in your hymnal this morning. Number two in the hymnal. And um, I'm going to need you to sing extra loud today. Um, my voice is suffering today.
we have a favorite hymn this morning? Anyone? Anyone? Going once. Oh, yes, ma'am. Let's look. Yes, it's four nine seven in the hymnal. Wow, Naomi. <laughs> four nine seven. Let's see if it's the correct one. The one that you were thinking of. Is that the one? Right, do you have a reason for this one? Genesis, the 12th chapter, we'll be reading verses 4 through 10, that's page 17.
When you found your place, please stand with us for the reading. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verses 4 through 10. <clears throat> so Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah and Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there, to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the right on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Father in heaven, please add your blessing to this holy and inspired book. take your Trinity hymnal this time and turn to 535. 535 in the red.
study on the patriarchs, we discovered that Abraham and Sarai <coughs> committed themselves to God in faith. Think about it. They had no previous history with God. No experience. But when God appeared to him, verse 7, spoke to him, verse 1, it was utterly revolutionary to Abraham's thinking that a God could or would communicate his will to not a statue, this is not a piece of stone, a carved wood structure, no. The living God is the one that speaks. Well, he took God's promises, which are many, at face value, and he began to act on God's say-so. The scripture affirms three things concerning God's promises. Number one, God never changes what he promises because there are no circumstances that ever arise which can cause God to rethink his word. And we change our situation all the time because we don't know all the facts and we can't control the facts. But this is not the case with God. He never changes what he promises because there are no circumstances that can change his word. Secondly, God's word carries with it the weight of both promise and oath. Oath is the idea of something very strong. Number three, it's impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. So if God makes a promise or he takes an oath concerning you or me, It's a done deal. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible. Listen to this. It is impossible for God to lie. We're liars. Men lie all the time. We live lies at times. But Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. He's truth and righteousness personified. Then we analyze the difference between common ordinary faith that all of us have when it comes to life's decisions and the extraordinary faith which is the gift of God. God gives us that faith and makes it to shine in our hearts and he removes the blinders that Satan places over our spiritual eyes. And we traced four steps of saving faith, each step higher than the previous. Number one, saving faith obeys. Verse four, Abraham obeyed God and his command to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to a land that would be yet revealed. If you don't obey, you don't have faith. Number two, saving faith lives on earth as a nomad, like shallow roots searching for something better, a city whose architect and builder is God. Whatever we have in this life, even by faith, is not to be compared with the glory that's coming. 
Number three, saving faith trusts God for the impossible. Abraham and Sarah were just two old people. Abraham, 99 years old. Sarah, 90 years old, respectively. Both of them well past the time of procreative powers. But God said they would have a son. And a son they had. And number four, saving faith is sacrificial faith. Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. Ooh, wait a minute. All these years he waited for a son, finally has a son by Sarah. And then God, in a vision, tells him, well, I want you to sacrifice him. You know, like a burnt offering. But here's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 11, verse 19. Who's going to do something like that? Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Hebrews 11, verse 19. And that tells me that from God's viewpoint, Isaac was as good as dead. You know the account. Abraham raised the knife. He was ready to slay Isaac on the burn, and make a burnt offering of him. And God arrested him, his hand and stopped the whole execution. It was a test of Abraham's faith and he, he passed the test marvelously. Well, in today's study, we want to center on Abraham and Sarah as they scoped out to claim the promised land. I would say first and foremost that the geography was important. The first plank of the covenant was, verse 1, leave your country and go to the land I will show you. And that was followed by Abraham's obedience, verse 4. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, verse 6, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Moreh. At Shechem, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. What land? <laughs> the land then populated by the Canaanites, verse 6, and through which Abraham had just traveled, also verse 6, beyond, verse 8, from there he went on towards the hill east of Bethel, Ai on the east, Bethel on the west. Then, verse 9, Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev, that's the south. And finally, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt. This is a lot of geography to cover. Remember, they're walking, or maybe they have a, a mule or a donkey or something like that. But still, when you think about it, if you were to look at a map, well, you probably have Bible maps in the back of your Bible. That's a long way to go. But they obeyed. So the picture here is of Abraham and Sarah and Lot, their nephew, as a tag-along, 
entering this geographical location from the extreme north, from Haran, the location to which Abraham traveled with his father, Terah, from Ur of the Chaldees, who died there in Haran, you remember, Genesis 11, verse 31, 32. Ancient Mesopotamia, you'll remember that from your days in high school, which stretched from the Persian Gulf, Ur, northward towards the Fertile Crescent, encompassing the ancient Babylon, the Tower of Babel, and so on. Chapter 11, all part of Abram's idolatrous past. Let's not forget that. In modern day, it's Kuwait and Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Israel, Jordan and Egypt. That's that whole area. A more detailed boundary line for the land God promised to Abraham is found in Genesis 15 at the ratification of the covenant where the animals were sacrificed. The covenant row was established in on that day, it says, The Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenzanites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Sephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. <laughs> but those were all tribes of people that live in this territory. Genesis 15 verse 18 and following. So here the geography is described not so much by the countries but by the people who lived in the land at that time. Ten people groups, many of them descendants of Noah's grandson Canaan. Kenites, descendants of Moses' brother-in-law Jael the wife of a Kenite, Heber, is the woman that drove the tent peg through Sisera's temple as he slept, Judges 5, verse 24. So we can pretty well ascertain the boundaries of the land promised to Abraham by the sweeping statements of God. In Genesis 15, verse 15, I give this land from the river of Egypt, that would be the Nile, right? To the great river of the Euphrates, up north. By the way, Haran was just northeast of the Euphrates. So if you were to look on a Bible map, you probably have Bible maps in your, uh, in your Bible in the back there. From the Nile... the Euphrates, Haran on the Euphrates. Wow. That is a huge track of land. Did Israel, Abraham's descendants, did they ever possess this vast territory? Well, before you say no, Second Samuel says, King David dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations that he had subdued. 
Edom and Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadassar, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 11 and following. And then of Solomon, David's heir, we are told, And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river, there again is a reference to the Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Think about this. These countries brought tributes and were Solomon's subjects all his life. 1 Kings 4, verse 21. Wow. 1 Kings 4, 24. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river from Tipsa to Gaza and had peace on all sides. Tipsa, by the way, is right on the Euphrates River. Gaza is in southern Philistia, as far as the border of Egypt. In short, everywhere Abraham put his sandaled feet in his exploration of the promised land, God gave it to him and his descendants. My dispensational friends argue that Abram never received all the land. And so they reason that there is yet coming a day when God will give all the land he promised Israel. Might ask, well, why, why do we care about this? We care because a promise by God to Abraham is part and parcel of trusting the truthfulness of God's word. Even the minutest details of what God says must be proven true, if our faith in God means anything. And what is it that nations squabble over and go to war over? Is it not land? Land. The land has resources which all nations covet. Gold, silver, oil, natural gas. I remember some years back, Russia pledged to build a natural gas pipeline across Europe. I don't know if they ever did that, but that was their pledge. But there's timber and the seas and waterways and coal and pastures and metals for grazing livestock and for farming all this and more makes land a very coveted commodity in today's world as well as in Abram's. Today Israel has less than half its original holdings. The United Nations constantly pressures Israel to abdicate a little more land into the Palestinian settlements. So yes, I see restoration coming in terms of the land Israel once owned because land is important to God's covenant with Abraham. 
Ezekiel writes, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations. I will bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. I will bring you back to the land of Israel again. Ezekiel 11, verse 17. So my first observation is that the geography was important. It was important. Some of this fighting is still going on today. My second observation is that the geography was not important. So what kind of double talk is that? How can something be important and not important at one and the same time? Well, it depends on the requirements being brought to bear on the subject. If we're talking about Abram entering Canaan and scoping it out from the Euphrates River to the Nile River, then yes, the land is important because God promised this territory to Abraham and his descendants. But if we're talking about the underlying spiritual promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, the promised child, it's not as significant as Christ, the promised seed of Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 16. And the land which was so essential for Abraham's homestead and livelihood is not as significant as the nations, plural, that would become the possession of Christ in his kingdom. This too has its roots in the Abrahamic covenant, though not spelled out until Genesis 17. We need to think of the Abrahamic covenant as a work in progress with its outline, its skeleton, set out before us in Genesis 12. That's true. Some added skin and sinew added, Genesis 15, at the cutting of the covenant. Nations named who were the Canaanites. But then we come to Genesis 17 and more clarification is given. Abraham and Sarai undergo name changes by God to confirm the new provisions of the covenant. We are told Abraham fell down, fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of, here it is, many nations. Whoa. Chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. No longer will you be called Abram. Abram means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham. And that means father of many. Father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Genesis 17, verse 3 and following. He was given the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. Verse 15 brings Sarah into the expanse 
of the covenant. We read, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you no longer are to call her Sarai. That name means dominant one. I don't know, maybe she was a strong-willed woman. I don't know. He sent her packing with her son, Ishmael, Hagar. To Abraham, he said, get rid of that slave woman and her son. So Sarah was obeying God. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Genesis 21, verse 10. God was in that. Her name, here's the name James for Sarah, her name will be Sarah. The name Sarah means noble woman, princess, queen. I will bless her. I will surely give you son by her. <coughs> I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, plural. Kings of people will come from her. Genesis 17, verse 15 and following. So clearly, brethren, as the provisions of the covenant unfold, there's a shift from the physical to the spiritual, from geography, terra firma, ground, to people, nations, whom Abraham and Sarah would foster, and most important of all, from Ishmael and later Isaac, born a year later, being circumcised in the flesh as marked by God to be his, to those who as the spiritual offspring of Christ are circumcised in heart. Paul puts it this way. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, says Paul, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. The spiritual ramification to Israel restated by Moses in Deuteronomy 30. Wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all of your heart and with all of your soul according to everything I command you today then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all of the nations where he scattered you. And from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your forefathers. And will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous, more numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart with all of your soul and live 
The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands that I am giving you today. Now what I commanded you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in the heavens so that you may ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond in the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 and following. Did you know that was in the Bible? Well, it is. That brings us to the main theme today that the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in Christ. Christ Jesus is Abraham's promised seed. Let me read it for you. It's in Galatians 3, verse 16. And by the way, here's your principle. The New Testament always interprets the Old, not the other way around. If you want to know what's going on in the Old Testament, if there's a passage in the New Testament about it, that'll give you the definition and the interpretation of what was being said in the Old. So, how does this work? Well, let me read it for you. Galatians 3.16, New Testament, Paul's writings. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, writes Paul. The scriptures does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but to your seed, singular. Meaning, Paul, I'm still reading Paul, meaning one person who is Christ. Galatians 3.16. The promises made to a seed, one person, who is Christ. Wow. Paul writing to the church of Corinth. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not, yes and no, but in him it has always been, yes, in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19 and 20. The promises all converge in Christ. Zechariah, father of John the Baptist we read, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham. 
to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Luke 1, verse 67 and following. Peter preached the gospel to the people of Jerusalem. Here's what he wrote, what he said. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from his wicked ways. Acts 3, verse 24 and following. What's the key here? The key is this. The heirs are not only physical Jews, but all who are of the faith of Abraham. The same faith. Romans 15, verse 8 and 9 says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Romans 15, verse 8 and 9. Again, chapter 4, verse 14 and following. For if those who live by the law are heirs, then faith has no value. And the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace. And be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, that would be the Jews, right? But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's you and me. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom you believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Romans 4, 14 and following. Christ was Abraham's seed. And we are children of Abraham by faith. He believed God, looking to the sea, looking to Christ. We believe God, like Abraham, looking to Christ. Wow. So what I'm saying is that faith in God's promise of salvation makes us Abraham's children. In Romans 4, verse 20 and following, Paul writes, Yet he, referring to Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
And that's why it was credited to him as righteousness. And the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. For us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him. Who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification, for our salvation. Romans 4, 20 through 25. Brethren, our salvation has its roots way back there in the Old Testament. What I'm saying is you and I are not an afterthought with God. We were in his plan from eternity and historically from Genesis on. Galatians 3, 24 and following states, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. I'm still reading scripture. We're no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So what's the outcome? Paul goes on. There's neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free man, male, female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If, I'm still reading scripture, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs, according to the promise made to Abraham. Galatians 3, 24 and following. And in the next chapter, Galatians 4, Paul writes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. You remember Hagar, Ishmael. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Something supernatural. Paul writes on. These things may be taken figuratively. So we don't have to guess. They are figurative for something. And he's going to tell us. These things may be taken figuratively. For the woman, the women, excuse me, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. You all know what happened on Mount Sinai? That's where the Ten Commandments were given. That's where the law was given. So we got two women 
and they represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. Don't have to guess. He goes on. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. That's this law, see? We have the law. We're children of God. We have the law of God. But, he goes on, the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Oh, so we have a Jerusalem that's here, and we have a Jerusalem from above. The Jerusalem that's here is Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, and it's law, 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 law. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She's our mother, says Paul. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You have no labor pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who had a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? It says, get rid of the slave woman. Get rid of her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. How do we become children of the free woman? By exhibiting the faith of Father Abraham, who believed and took God at his word. Just some observations. The number of spiritual heirs in Abraham's family consists of nations, plural, nations. God the Father said to Jesus, his son in prophecy, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you're my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Psalm 2, verse 7 through 9. David says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. 
Future generations will be about the Lord, be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Psalm 22. Psalm 72 says he will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy to cry out, the afflicted who have no help from anyone. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May his name endure forever. May it continue to be long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him. And they will call him blessed. Praise to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 72, verse 8 and following. Brethren, in our small little world of friends and associates within our church settings, we have a tendency to think of the Christian community as doomed to smallness, doomed to insignificant numbers and having a minuscule impact on the world. But the scriptures must influence our perspective. And what do the scriptures say? John takes us by vision into the portals of heaven itself, and he writes, They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because... You were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 5. Brethren, these are Abraham's descendants of whom God promised his son, the nations. That brings me finally to the identifying mark of Christ or Abraham's family. Physically, remember, we read about it, circumcision. But the identifying mark of Christ's family is circumcision of the heart. What is circumcision of the heart? That sounds strange. Let me read it for you. Romans 2. Paul writes, a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, 
A man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. Boy, that's a strange verse. What does it mean to be circumcised of heart? Deuteronomy 10, when God chided Israel for their failures, this is how he worded it. Now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and even everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affections on your your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all of the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God. He's the God of all gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. Giving him food and clothing. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 and following. Paul puts it this way. You are trying to be justified by law. By doing good deeds. In other words. You've been alienated from Christ. Oh, did I read that right? You who are trying to be justified by law. You're trying to obey the law of God and therefore say, Lord, I'm one of your children and here's my proof. I do the law and I keep it. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. Oh, wait a minute. How does that work? He goes on. You've fallen from grace. What? You can't have it both ways. You can't be saved by obedience to the law, some people think, and have it salvation by grace. Because law will cancel out grace. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. That's an imputed righteousness, accredited righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Get that. Something new is going on here. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5, verse 4 and following. Brethren, in short, a circumcised heart is one in which the old life of loving, living to gratify the sinful flesh is renounced and put behind you, and this to please and obey God. Observe now this change in Abraham's life. What do we know about Abraham and his life? Well, the man was an idolater like his father. You can't say it any other way. An idolater. His father, T, wrote before him, used to call on his pagan gods when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees. So Abraham was challenged to give up his religion, can I put it that way, which was steeped in idolatry. And he was challenged instead to start living life with God at the forefront. What do we discover? Well, at the promise of God to give Abraham the promised land we read in verse 7 of our text, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. What's that? He's worshiping God. An altar. Again, from there, verse 8 tells us that Abraham began to scope out this promised land to discover its extent. And at Bethel, or Ai, we are told, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So sacrifice and prayer once more. From Bethel, he proceeded further south in Palestine through the Negev, that means the southern region. Verse 9, from there even further all the way down to Egypt, which was not a good experience for him, by the way. But he at least touched down in Egypt, the farthest boundary of the promised land. And when he came out of Egypt, we find him back at Bethel, chapter 13, verse 3. And what do we read? Verse 4, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Prayer again, trusting in God again. Kind of getting back on track. Egypt was someplace he shouldn't have gone. But he gets his head screwed on right again. He's not a perfect man, but he is a changed man. He worshiped the true God as best he knowed how to do by the Spirit's leading, but he no longer had Tiros, his father's idols. 
When he sins, he's careful to atone with animal sacrifices. Where'd he get that idea? When he sins, he confesses his sin in penitent prayers. Where'd he get that idea? He's not praying to a piece of stone or a block of wood. Though at one time he did. He lives his life, mistakes notwithstanding, by faith in God's promises. He believes the land from the mighty Euphrates River to that of the Nile is his to claim by faith in God. He scoped out the boundaries. He's walked the topography. He's toured the terrain. His faith has given him an accurate picture of God's promise, which he claims as his own. The essence of a circumcised heart, brethren, is an obedient faith. An obedient faith. Are you living your life, your Christian life, by faith? With this raw abandonment to God's word. God said it, I'm claiming it, I'm doing it. say, well, I don't think Israel possessed all the land. I don't think they possess all the land from the Euphrates to the Nile River. Well, the story isn't over yet. It's not over yet. What we know thus far is that God had kept his word to Israel. And is keeping his word. Will they get all that land someday? Oh yeah. Palestinians objection nonetheless. They're going to have it all. Because God makes a promise. And when God promises. He doesn't renege. On what he has said. What is the great promise that God has given. In Abraham. That he would bless the world through Abraham's seed, seed singular. Not Jews, plural, but one Jew. Seed. Christ. God's son. Sent by way of the Virgin Mary. To bring salvation through the death of his cross that all who look to him might look and live. Have you done that? Have you looked to Christ? Say, well, no, no, no. It's either yes or no, and if it's a no, you are in deep trouble. See, why am I in deep trouble? Because the day of judgment is coming, and the wrath of God is already revealed from heaven, Paul writes in Romans. It's sitting on you. Say, well, I don't feel any wrath. Yeah, well, the the day is coming for you to feel it, too. 
That's why Paul says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If God works in your life and says, you know, you need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus and look to that one who went to a cross and paid for your sins. And if you won't do that, when you've had this wonderful news of the gospel all these centuries, then you're still under the wrath of God. And it's not a place you want to be. It is not a place that you will survive. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. It's not a partnership. We're not doing our part. And then you're, you're going to be kind to us. No, you're kind to ungrateful, God-hating men and women And you grant us your grace by granting us faith. So if we hear your voice today, and that voice is saying, come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Jesus. He's my son. I sent my son to pay the debt of sinful, sinful men. You want your debt paid? You want to pay it yourself. Okay, if you want to pay it yourself, guess what? It will take an eternity with no mercy for you to pay. Eternity is what? never ending that's how wicked our sins are that's how black the ledger is concerning our life but if we will come to Christ Lord Jesus if you will draw us into your kingdom if you will grant us faith that only he can save us from ourselves then, Lord Jesus, life eternal will be ours. And for every believer here today, we give you thanks for the cross. We think of it not simply in its historicity, that it happened in history past, but we think of its spiritual significance, that Christ shed his blood on behalf of his people. Make us your people today. Draw us by your spirit. Grant us faith. Firstly, for your glory, because you are glorified if there's some that are saved. But secondly, for our good. It's the only way good is going to come to us of this kind of spiritual nature. Bless these truths to our heart. We thank you for your word that tells us like it is. Amen. Our closing hymn, <clears throat> excuse me, is from the hymnal. No, excuse me, I'm reading the bulletin wrong. It's hymn four, 
uh, in Trinity. That's in the red hymnal. 468. You know, all the religions of the world cannot handle the truth of that song. The truth being that it is enough that Jesus died. Oh, no, 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 it can't be enough. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to contribute to the church, I've got to be faithful in my attendance, I've got to do works of mercy, 
I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And the gospel says it's enough that Jesus died. Let me think about this a minute. You really think you can improve upon perfection? The perfect son of God who never did sin came from glory was sacrificed on a cross and you're thinking that's, that's not enough. There must be something that I have to do to contribute. That's just human pride. May I say, human pride is sinful pride. That's all part of the religions of the world. I gotta do my part. Gotta do my part. Else, God won't save me. You know what your part is? It's to believe what the gospel says. It's to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to stop coming up with your own ways of trying to posture your way into being acceptable to God. There's one man that's acceptable to God. That's Christ the man, the Lord Jesus, the God-man. We sing, Jesus paid it all, all for me. He paid it all. You don't get to contribute, but you get to receive the blessing by faith. May God give you a faith to leave off with your attempts to please God on your own. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the Savior. You emptied heaven of your glory, of his glo- of, of your glory, the glory of Christ, that he might come and take on the form of a sinful man. No, that he might be the perfect man that we should have been. But we lost it in Adam. Paul says, in Adam we all die. Yeah, we did. Adam, the sinner, gave us his sinful nature and he passed it down generation after generation after generation so that we inherit him we don't want him but we inherit him and Christ came and he was not born a sinful man but was born of a virgin perfect man resetting what Adam destroyed And that's why his atoning work is so precious, so pure, can't be added to, can't be improved upon. Help us to accept it by faith. Help us to get rid of our pride. We think we're going to make it to glory on our own. We're fools. There's not enough holiness in our little finger, let alone our whole Constitution to please God. Only God can please God. And God's Son paid the price. For that we give you thanks. 
We ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts to see it and believe it. Amen. We are dismissed. Thank you.